Hello and welcome to Real Bible Stories. Join us as we deep dive into the historic, religious, cultural, political, and emotional context surrounding the real lives of real people in the Bible and the stories we've all grown to love. Welcome back to Real Bible Stories. I'm your host, Imran Ward, and we are joined by my wife, Selena. Hey! And our teacher, Ryan Brown. What's going on, everyone? Pastor, Pastor Ryan Brown. That's Just right. Like put some respect on my yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I was not giving a look or nothing. I want everybody I know. to know that. Uh, oh, oh, he, he raised an eyebrow in no. his head. No. <laughs> but um, welcome back. Um, Pastor, it's great to have you. Thank you. <laughs> Wife, it's great to have you. Yeah. Um, but this week on Real Bible Stories, we're going to be talking, or we're going to be continuing down the Tough Questions series. So if this is your first time tuning in, uh, the series we're on right now is going through some tough questions that the youth in our church uh, brought to brought to Pastor Ryan, brought to Ryan when uh, he was teaching a few, this was a few months ago now, this is like last fall that you went through the initial set of questions? We started, yeah, in the fall. Yeah, so he um, he basically asked, hey, what, if the prophets were here, if Jesus was here, if you could ask any question um, about the faith on authority and you knew that the answer was going to come from a reliable source, what would you ask? And the youth came up with these series of questions. I hope that you look back at the last couple of weeks and you look at the questions we've answered so far. But this week we're going to focus on the question, why the cross, right? Yep. And, you know, it, it came in different forms. Um, you know, some of the questions were, why the cross? Uh, why did God make a rule that ultimately would lead to killing his son? Um, if everything was, you know, predestined, you know, if, God knew that this was going to happen from the beginning. Um, why did he construct it in a way that ultimately led to Christ on the cross? And um, and then some of them were kind of framed more like why the cross? And most of them, they were actually, it's not that they don't understand, um, like they understand the cross in the sense of um, that he loves us and, and, you know, supreme demonstration of love. Their their bigger question was more like, well, why 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 did he have to die on a cross? Why did he have to be killed? What do you you know, when die? you look at Luke chapter nine, Jesus gives four things that he must do, um, that he must suffer many things and um, be rejected by the elders. But one of them is that he must be killed. Um, you know, the Greek being oh, it, that's it, interesting because that's must, not he must die murdered, right? like older old age or anything like that. He's mm. he be must, killed. He must be killed. Huh. So their question is more. Like, why couldn't Jesus just live a long, fruitful life as a rabbi, teaching and, and doing ministry, dying of old age and atoning for sin that way? Because he still would have died under a curse. Um, after living a sinless life. After living a sinless life. But, you know, why, but why the cross specifically, right? Um, so, so a lot of it is just them trying to understand, um, I don't want to say necessarily the theology, but the, the necessity yeah. of the cross itself. And, I, you know, this, this, this is what we would call, um, in terms of theology, um, soteriology. It's the study of the cross. Hmm. Um, and I, I just want to say from the very beginning, we are not going to exhaust all the views today, right? I, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to really hone in on one, um, one big piece, particularly within the reform tradition, um, which is called penal substitutionary atonement. Oh my gosh! I know, really fancy million dollar word, but it, it's it, just the idea of substitution—that Christ was the substitute for mm-hmm. us. Um, 
hence why you had to go to the cross and break that down a little bit because I think I'm going to th- th- there is a common way that this is constructed and presented to people and I don't like it because I think it misses mm. a lot and I think in in some regards it's even wrong. I want to uh, I want to uh just offer that after you finish this episode after you finish this episode I recommend the book Mere Christ- Christianity by C.S. Lewis because he talks about that. Um he talks about that a lot of people that are against the faith um, or uh, atheists that will deny the faith usually provide some oversimplification or childlike understanding as a justification for why they're against the faith. And he presents a fantastic logical argument for why humans exist in the way that they do and why um, the death would be a necessary uh, thing to take place and why Christianity has to be the way that it is. Not just why... Christianity is right or wrong or why we pick this theology over something else. But he basically does a logical argument all the way back to if human beings are what they are, if we all suffer from these different, these same things, then this is why, um, this is why Christ's death is absolutely a requirement. It's a, it's a, and it's very logical kind of walk. Well, he's a, I, I think everybody loves C.S. Lewis, but what's cool about him by his own admission, I'm trying to remember which book he actually writes it in actually may even be mere Christianity, but one of his books, he even says, I'm not a theologian. Mm-hmm. He's like, I am not a, a pastor. I am not a, um, priest. You know, he was Anglican. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, but I'm a layman. Like he, he, he that is exactly him, how he opens up. Yeah. He the, puts uh, himself in books. like, just as a layman, this is how I view this. So yeah. he actually puts a layman's perspective of logic behind some deep he doesn't, theological. Yeah. Cause he doesn't um, start with, um, philosophy and he doesn't start with theology he's just approaches it logically right. he's like this is my observation of the world this is what so from all the people i've but, talked about these are their observations um, and this is how you go yeah and this, this isn't hole. this episode isn't about c.s lewis yeah. but it, it's it's a good example but it's also a good example i think even in his case that you're presenting a logical how i see this logically based off information of the way it's been presented to him right so I, I think much of even when we start talking penal substitutionary atonement, um, Christ has a substitute <laughs> for our atonement. That of sin. The description. No, it's not. Let's not. Let's bore people to death with the title. Um, no, I mean but, the description. Bury it down there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is how you spell it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 if you misunderstand much of the loaded Hebrew behind this, um, I wouldn't. I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't necessarily say the way many people present it, it's that it's wrong. I think it's just vastly incomplete and misses a lot of beauty behind it. And there is a view. You mean the, the need for Christ to die or to be murdered? Well, we'll get into it. I'm I, just trying to be, you said, you, it, you, so I'm trying to. Yeah. So, so the, the way that it's much of the reform can put it. So let me just give you, let me give you the view of how it's often put forward that I don't like. Okay. Okay. It is often communicated this way is that we have offended and sinned against God and God is angry that he needs to, um, not just through justice, but in his wrath, his wrath (laughs) needs to be satisfied. Yeah. And because his wrath needs to be satisfied, that needs to be, we are the ones deserving of that wrath because we're the ones who have sinned. Yeah. They place it that then Christ steps in, as a substitute 
to receive God's wrath on our behalf. Which is a very emotional kind of interpretation of it. It's a very human interpretation of it. It's a very emotional view of God. Yeah. And um, it's not that God's not emotional, but he's not unstable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, 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 it's this is what I don't like about it. It's, there's a couple things I don't like about it. One, it's like, imagine if, you know, um, Imran sins and off- offends me and I'm just, I'm in such a rage. I'm like, you know what? The only way thing that's going to make me feel better is if I punch Imran in the face. And then Selena says, Hey, 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 I know you're angry. I love Imran. So don't punch him. Punch me instead. And I say, okay, pop. <laughs> right in the mouth. Yep. Punch wee-woo, Selena right in the mouth. <laughs> she substituted me. herself on yeah. behalf of Imran. And then I look at Imran. I'm like, your sins oh, are forgiven. All right, man, I forgive you. I love you. Come give me a hug. Right. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, it doesn't in, line in up with regard. how we, how we follow God in the first place. And well, yeah. And, and what he calls but, us but to do. It doesn't also, even make sense. And this is the, this was my struggle for a long time. Cause this is the way it was presented to me. And it was, mm-hmm. um, the other thing that I have a problem with is that's not justice. And one of the things that scripture is very clear about is that every man, every woman is accountable to their own sin. And the only way, so, so two things, Selena cannot forgive me for a sin that I've, that I've committed against you, Imran. Mm-hmm. Only you can forgive me of that offense, Right. Selena can't forgive um, me on your behalf, nor can she bear account to that on your behalf, right? Because then that's just further injustice. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? So because justice isn't that isn't emotional like that. Justice is very it's pretty much founded in logic. Like that's the whole point is that it takes the emotion out of it. And like, to be just, sure, right? Yeah. And and like if you read the entire chapter of Ezekiel 18, that whole chapter is about. The sin, uh, the the sins of the father cannot be put on the sins or, or be put on his children. In other words, the, the children will not inherit the sins of the father, nor will a father or a mother inherit the sins of their children, because each is accountable to their own, right? Yeah. So only the offended can forgive the offense, and only the offender can actually bear um, reconciliation to that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, We'll push into this a little bit more, but it's not really fair to punish somebody innocent for the trespass of another. Right? That's just that's just perpetuating injustice. Um, but um, and or even further to that point, we talk about over and over the grace of Christ on the cross. Yep. Right, grace being I receive that which I do not deserve, and the mercy of God I do not deserve or receive what I do deserve. Right. Well. And, and, and even the concept of unconditional love, his unconditional love for us. Well, if for God to love me and for me to receive his grace and mercy, somebody has to pay the piper, then it's very conditional at that point, right? Yep. Um, I will love you on the condition that I get to pour my wrath out on somebody, right? It, it just paints this very emotionally unstable God. And, and it kind of reminds me of Greek mythology in a way and how Zeus is kind of portrayed. Yeah. Um, how, or how Jupiter is portrayed when you look at Roman mythology. It's because uh, they're very emotional. They take out their anger on man. Uh, they'll, the gods will take out their anger right. on each other. So it's a very, um, 
I don't know, it just really comes across very Greco-Roman interpretation. So, so there's a famous sermon, uh, it's called In the Hands of an Angry God. It was given by Jonathan Edwards, and it was coming out of the American Reformation, um, you know, back in the 1600s, and okay. you know, when, when you got the, the American Reformation, which played coming out of the Enlightenment of Europe, mm-hmm. you know, in that day, uh, philosophically, leading into the... Um, American Reformation within the religious sects that also then pushed in and influenced really um, the American Revolution in many regards, right? Wow. Um, but Jonathan Edwards was a giant in that time, and he has a lot of really good... I mean, I still like to read Jonathan Edwards, but um, even though our theologies don't, you know, Perfectly intersect aligned. all that much. But um, but my point is, is that that whole sermon, right? And this is what... It was like that fire and brimstone type of era where um, God is very angry, and he's very angry with you. He's very, um, he's very angry with the world and his wrath is coming down. So you, you do not want to be on the receiving end of that wrath. Now, what I don't like about that construct is this. God is who God is. God is holy. God is loving. God is just. God is all those things. Yeah. Um, he's also omnipotent. He's all powerful. Yeah. So God's power applied judicially, God's power applied in love, God's power applied in grace manifests its way really in two forms. You are a, um, it was demonstrated in that power and the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ, right? And his love, his grace and his mercy. Mm -hmm. If you choose to not accept that provision, then you're going to receive his power of justice, which you could then call wrath, right? But it's not that he is out to get us. Right, he's done everything he could to save us, and one of the things that we're going to say uh, see in terms of what substitutionary atonement really kind of brings out is actually brings that fact out. Um, I think it's I but, think to, so. What you just said about he did everything he could to save us, me, layman, um, looking at it from a pragmatic perspective of like, well, if he's an op- omnipotent, all powerful God, why? Why is this all he can do? Why couldn't he do more? Why couldn't he just save me? Why couldn't, why can't he just do that? Good. We're going to talk about it. So there's one week of the questions. We're going to talk why sin. Why, why did God create a world that was even capable of it in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to save that for that week. Yeah, but, it's going to be good. But tonight, though, we, we are going to talk about, though, um, is what he did do and how that was demonstrated, right? But I, I, I would say before we dive into, well, what, you know, substitution are we talking about then? What did Christ substitute? Um, you know, before we dive into that, I just want to make the point though, that Christ died, not so that God could love us. It is the demonstration of God's love us so that in return, we would actually love him. Does that make sense? Um, Now, Jesus it makes died sense from not the so God could love us, but so that we could love God. Not that God's heart would be become warm to us because he's so angry with us. But now that Christ died, now his heart becomes warm towards us. It's actually to redirect our hearts and become warm towards God's again, right? So, so that, that is one of the primary functions of the cross, which is the s- supreme demonstration of his love for us, not the supreme demonstration of the requirement f- in order for him to love us. That um that kind of reminds me of uh, a few episodes ago with Pastor uh, Pastor David Squires, we talked about the perspective that all all of mankind and all of 
creation uh, may have fallen at the same time, that Satan's sin, original sin, was tempting man, and so Satan and man fell at the same time, um, which which we talked about in the episode that might be why Adam and Eve weren't afraid of him and trusted him, or at least believed him. There wasn't like an inherent fear, like why weren't they warned, warned about there him? Was a sense, but, there was certainly a relationship already established when that yeah, whole thing goes down. But, but, the, right? but what was brought up there is that when God curses Satan and he says um, um, that I think like the son of man will crush his head or yeah, crush his head with his heel. Earliest prof- uh, prophecy of the cross. Yeah. Yep. So it's like mm-hmm. at the, if, and so if we're looking from the perspective of all of creation fell at once, then it was like, as soon as creation fell, God established that he was going to fix it. You know? So it's like he, he created everyone. You had free will. You, you do this thing. But as soon as it was jacked up, it wasn't like Jesus came along hundreds of years later, thousands of years later and finally solved the problem. It's just like from the moment of the fall, God already promised to solve the problem and gave a means by which it yeah, would be solved. I would even say that's even more reactory to God's omniscience where I think this, the moment he made man, he knew exactly that that was all going to happen. I think that was part yeah. of the plan. Yeah. Right. And part of the plan is to have, remember our, our fundamental purpose is the worship of God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's demonstrated ultimately through the life, the ministry, through the pursuit death, and resurrection of, of Jesus. Right? Well, I was going to say, our, our, our worship dem- is demonstrated through our constant pursuit of him. Sure. I'm saying you know? no, but it, it all culminates in Christ. Yeah. Right. It was always the point was leading to Christ. And then from that fact of the resurrection, now everything is being built from that fact. Right. So this decisive point in history, when that occurs, I think from the very beginning, when we got created, man, he, he knew this was going to, this was part of the planet from all along yeah. to really cre- uh, bring us into our purpose. Right. But, but, but let me just, I, I want to offer just three substitutions. Right. And, and this isn't going to be an, an exhaustive view of all of the soteriology, right? We're just talking really substitution. Soteriology. Here. Soteriology, the, the study of salvation, the study um, of salvation. Cause there's a lot soteriology. of different things in, in, involved in this, but I just want to really kind of give three perspectives of what did Christ, Christ substitute for us on the cross why was the cross necessary instead of just simply dying of old age, right? Man, your, so, your doctoral degree is really coming out in this episode right here. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into the first one. The first thing, and the one that you probably are the most familiar with, is sacrificial substitution. Um, that, that he was the sacrificial um, lamb. He was the Passover lamb. That he, he was the substitute sacrificially for us. Okay? Um, so this kind of requires a little bit of an understanding of the sacrificial system, particularly for um, Israel, right? So if you go read in uh, Leviticus 2, I believe it is, um, that lays out all the different um, sacrifices that, per according to Torah, that mm. you're required to do. Right? Yeah, every time we jump into Leviticus, I'm like, this book is way longer and more complicated than I thought. Well, you, I don't think people realize how much of a foundation it is for things, yeah. right? It's a whole, um, it's a whole like, it's like reading U.S. code. It's a whole yeah. foundation for like how the society functions. And it's like, I never sit down and just read U.S. code, but it's like, that's what reading Leviticus is. Like if you just had to sit down and read the law books um, to study it, to be a lawyer or something, like that's what it, how it reads. It's right. kind of wild. Um, well, there, there were really five types of offerings, okay? The first was a burnt offering. The second was a grain. The third was what we would call a peace offering. 
The fourth is a purification offering. And the fifth is, it would be called two ways. Um, it's often called a sin offering, but then there's also a guilt offering. I don't like the idea of it being a sin offering because it actually, that functionally wasn't there to atone for sin. It was when you have sinned and you have guilt for it, you would go perform the sacrifice. But I think what many people think when they think about the sacrificial system, we take a very pagan view of sacrifice and we apply it over to, to their system. When, when you say pagan, you mean like just being outside of the Jewish tradition? Or right. is, no, that's Gentile. So what's pagan? I'm sorry. Yeah, pagan, Gentile. Right. Oh, those uh, yeah, functionally yeah. the same definition for this? Yeah, yeah, right. So like, okay. why would, you know, why did the Aztecs, why were they doing sacrifices? Why were, um, when they were doing sacrifices to Baal? To um, bring rain, right? I think. Right, right. It's like, but, but a lot, lot of it is, is they think that you're doing it to atone for something um, or to please the gods, right? To gain favor with the gods. I, I need to sacrifice. And that's why like human sacrifice was the epoch of that, right? The ultimate mm-hmm. sacrifice of human mm-hmm. sacrifice was one where this is the ultimate demonstration of worship to the gods that we have to have their favor. They're going to bless us now. Yeah. That is not the way it was viewed for them. For the Jews. Right. So, um, burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, the, um, purification offering, right. That, that was, if something has made you unclean, you would need to go through the purification rites to become clean again, which included a sacrifice, right? Um, and we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. You could be unclean, but not necessarily sin. You can sin, and it makes you unclean, right? So sin makes you unclean, so you'd yeah. have to go through purification. But but to be unclean is you a broader could, than like, just giving birth to a baby for a woman would make her unclean. Yeah. That doesn't mean she sinned, but she's now unclean. So she has to go get purified, right? To get clean again. Yeah. Um, anytime you go to the temple, you go through purification, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so each one of these played, you know, they're, they're, they're laid out with specific, this is what you do. Um, but none of them actually address atoning sin. You didn't do it to atone for sin. Okay. Um, there was actually one high holiday a year, one of the high festivals um, in Leviticus, uh, what is that, uh, 23, that lays out here the required high fest, uh, festivals of God, um, you know, Passover being one of them, um, right, Rosh Hashanah, like all those that are laid out, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Feast of Leavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, etc. One of them is the Day of Atonement. It's a single day you would fast. Um that is the one day a year that the high priest, um, not even the high priest, a priest would go in and they would atone for the sins of the nation. And mm. they would have what you would call a scapegoat where you would actually lay hands on that goat and you would pretty much pass all the sin of the nation into onto that goat and you would put the goat out into the wilderness. So my point is this, is that the one... Well, they didn't kill it. No, that's my point, what? is the one high holiday that actually did atone for sin was not a sacrifice. was not a f- sacrificial practice. It wasn't a ritual sacrificial ritual. And this is my point is that people, when we look at Whoa. the sacrificial system, we've misunderstood the role it played for them. Okay. Um, when you even look at the Passover, I'm still like, just yeah, like, I'm like, why a goat? Why? What do you mean? Why a goat? Why a goat? That's not what I was. I was just like, I'm, why sorry, did they kill that it? That's question. like, I'm like every other version of like religion kills everything. 
And it's like, boom, this, the, cause I, I think back to when Jesus would say your sins are forgiven, pick, take up your mat and walk. Um, your sins are for, forgiven, you know, now you can see and all this stuff. And, but, and the Pharisees and the, uh, Jewish leaders would be like, who is this man who says he can forgive sins? Cause they wouldn't freak out about the miracles that as much as they would freak out about him forgiving sins. And that's interesting. Cause I didn't know about this holiday that they would actually go through this, David this process. You would, you would the fast David for, um, an entire day, um, leading into this it. Is it was the day of atonement when you have Zechariah, who was married to Elizabeth, who was mm-hmm. the cousin of Jesus' mother Mary, when he receives, um, when God would come to him, because it was also the Day of Atonement. It was the one day that sins were atoned for, and in a small little time that the sins were atoned for, you could enter the Holy of Holies, and if God was going to meet you, he would meet you then. Usually oh. it didn't happen, right? And then you give it about 10 minutes once everybody, cause there's like people are doing things in this time. Right. So they're not sinning. It's like this little gap of time in the year where it's like all of sin has been atoned before more sin starts. Right. Yeah. Um, so then God was like, okay, now it's holy enough for me to come meet with you. He didn't always do it. Usually he didn't. That's why in fact, in the second temple era, um, there was no recorded mention of God actually coming down into the second temple until, you get the interaction with Zechariah mm. in the Holy of Holies, um, you know, about, and that, that was when, you know, with John the Baptist and okay. he didn't believe him. Right. So, um, you know, that's when he becomes mute, you know, et cetera. So okay. um, my point being is that that was the high holiday that dealt with sin. Passover didn't even deal with sin. Passover and, and Christ refers to himself as the Passover lamb, right? Passover was a remembrance of the time that through the shedding of the blood's lamb or, uh, or the, the blood of the lamb, that sin would be passed over, but not this is from the, uh, And, but that was born out of the coming out of Egypt. Right. 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 It was remembering back that through the shedding of, um, that they would, they killed the lambs, put the blood over the, the doorpost and, you know, and the, the angel, angel of death, death passed, passed over. over. Right. Yeah. Um, so you could look at that as saying, well, then isn't that atonement? No, that's forgiveness. Um, but atoning, the judicial handling of sin was not even Passover. Okay, So here's my point, is that we have fundamentally, I think, un- misunderstood what the sacrificial system meant. If you read Leviticus 2, okay, um, and you have to also kind of read it in pairing through Exodus and, and, and um, Numbers and et cetera, but um, the point of the animal sacrifices... Um, and they, they weren't all animal sacrifices. You had grain offerings, right? It wasn't just, but sacrifice in general. Well, it's so wasn't it, wasn't it Abel jacked up for bringing grains before God? Cain and Abel, the whole thing? We'll do Cain and Abel when we, um, or was it because yes, he brought And this grains? is actually the principle though, uh, of why. Okay. So the whole idea of giving an offering, a sacrifice, whether it was grain, animal, you know, pr- whatever provision, Mm-hmm. It was all about showing your desire for fellowship with God. Okay. It was all about fellowship. Think about it this way. Um, the idea is that my offering to God is one where I've prepared a meal. Okay. And I've placed the meal at the altar as a, a demonstration of Lord, because everything in those days was surrounded the table, surrounded a meal. Right. Yeah. If, you, if you notice, um, 
how much happens around a table with Jesus when he's teaching. Um, everything always notes like, um, you know, we did Zacchaeus not too yeah. long ago. And they literally go from like festival to festival as a way of tracking time over Jesus's uh, ministry is like from. Well, I'm just saying in day to day life though. So like it would always say, well, then he was sitting down eating with sinners. He was sitting down and eating with the prostitutes. He was sitting down Zac- and eating. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. Right. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. It had always surrounded the meal, right? And yeah. that meant fellowship. Why is he, the rabbi, in fellowship? Because they're eating a meal. They're sharing yeah. a meal. That's also why, um, and we'll get into this because I think the next one we're going to do is Galatians, which is what we're in in the, the Tuesday night study. But, um, but the whole idea of that, Peter at one point, Paul calls him out and says, you withdrew yourself from the table of the Gentiles when the Judaizers came in preaching a gospel of circumcision. He retreated back from the table, pretty much saying you, will, you won't break bread with Gentiles, mm. i.e. it's not just simply, oh, you, he won't come over and have a meal with me. It's no, you're breaking fellowship, okay. right? Meals meant fellowship. So the idea that I'm providing this animal or I'm providing this grain offering is one of I prepared a meal and I'm offering it to God as a, a demonstration of my desire to have fellowship with you. I want you and I to have fellowship, right? That's interesting because then you look at, um, I guess uh, you could say a pagan or, or um, gentile modern expression of that same concept is praying before a meal. It's, it's like we all sit, we sit before a table and we offer a prayer to God before we, you know, just eat a meal. Well, so that's not like, pagan, but that's a, that's uh, very much within the faith. I think you should be praying. No, no, no. I'm, well, I guess like a, uh, just a, you mean something modern. that's yeah, a modern, modern interpretation okay, or yeah. continuation of that Jewish tradition is that praying before a meal, not, you know, it's just an interesting kind of connection with, with the exception that to extend that to their idea, it would be like you would have another plate with real food kind of there not being eaten because it's for God, right? Like, Interesting. But but, th- but that was what the point was. So when you, you, you brought up Cain and Abel, right? Why did he look at Abel's more favorably than Cain's? And if you go back and you, you read Leviticus and what the requirements were, was that Cain gave the bare minimum. Abel gave not just... An abundance. No, he gave the, the like the young, the, fresh He lamb. gave the best. Okay. He gave the, best he gave the he first fruits. And he gave more than what was required. He says, I look in favor of Abel. Well, why? I, I gave my bare minimum. Right. You, you, get, you want the bare minimum fellowship with me. Your brother wants more. Your brother wants deep fellowship Which with such me. A, that's such a testament of the mature understanding of Christianity, actually, versus um, usually people's superficial understanding of Christianity, which is I need to do good in order to get good from God, which is like, that's not the point. The process, the point is that sanctification your heart, process, your desire. Exactly. Right. It's like your your you heart give. towards God. What is your heart towards God? And it's the same. I would say the more modern application of that is with tithing, right? Giving yeah. money. It's like, it's not, you know, the Torah has been fulfilled. We're not under the law anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So do I have to give the first fruits and 10%? No, I had actually say you don't. Um, but if you love God and you love the kingdom, it, like you will. Yeah. And you won't, right? you it, won't look it, at it as 10%. You just, what is the need? It's not a legal I obligation. It is a desire, right? It's yeah. showing the desire of your heart. And um, 
So if we take this, that's right, if we take this concept, I don't think right? a pastor has ever told me that I don't have to give a tithe. Yeah, that's the first time I hear that. It's oh, I mean, I'm just extending it beyond. <laughs> but it's like, but it's like when you think there's a fundamental point. The Torah has been fulfilled. Yeah. Right. And it's no longer, we're not chained to that anymore. Yeah. Right. So, but I would say this, if, since you, you guys, if you guys are bringing that up, someone else listening also will, grace always exceeds the law. Yeah. So I don't have to give 10% because the law is over. You're right. Where the, where the law called for 10%, if you look at the earliest church, they didn't give 10%. What did they give? Far and above. They gave everything they had. Mm. Yeah. Grace always exceeds the law. So you want to start making that argument of, oh, yeah, well, I see, I don't have to. And you want to, for just so you don't have yeah. to give your money. See, it's like, well, grace actually see, demands see, more. C.S. Lewis but, talks about, too, just, just my one sentence summary. He says, like, well, why, why does the law exist? And the law exists to show how, um, how incapable you are of fulfilling it. Like how incapable of being truly good of trying to of being one as of honor. There's many, you know? um, many, that's going to be a week too. Um, yeah. actually we're not going to do that week in this series cause we're going to hit it in Galatians. Um, cause there's this whole section of Galatians where Paul says, what was the point of the law? And we'll break that down then. So nice. we're not going to actually do it in this series as I did for youth, but, um, but back, back to here. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. sac, so, so the sacrifice system, right? So when we say that Jesus was the sacrificial substitution, then what is he substituting? If the entire purpose for that process was meant to be this demonstration of our desire for fellowship with God, what does that mean then when God sacrifices his son for us? What is that supposed to communicate? A desire for fellowship with us. Right. Ooh, and that's also interesting. You see what I'm saying? Because... Because of sin and sin separates us from him because it's outside of what he desires, he is essentially must do this expression of a desire to fellowship with us. Oh, you know? That's a different substitution we'll talk about in a second. Ooh, okay. For this one, though, I, I just want to say through the concept of the sacrificial system and what it meant is that over and over for centuries they were giving sacri- you know the, giving these offerings of showing to show desired desire fellowship, fellowship desired fellowship but in our sin we could never actually be fully have it have it because of that separation right mm-hmm. but one of the things that he's substituting in that sacrificial substitution is saying you've been sacrificing to me showing me what you're desiring your desire for fellowship with me is here's my sacrifice to you to communicate to you my desire, my desire of fellowship with you. It's meant yeah. to show the heart of God and his desire for fellowship with us, not simply as a legal requirement, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. But in that context of sacrificial system, right, it's meant to show God's heart for his desire for fellowship with us. I think one of the most fascinating things that I just got out of this um, kind of going through the sacrificial system is the sacrificial system itself. Um and how different it is from everything I remember learning in history growing up about human sacrifice and sacrifice in general from other religions around the world. Cause I remember being so caught up in, um, particularly this was like in either beginning of high school, I think it was beginning of high school and learning about like the Aztecs or the Mayans and learning about the human sacrifices and stuff like that. And it's like, if I, if I am truly a Christian, would I be willing to go that far for God? And it's like, I don't know. I don't think I would be, but it's like, God would never 
expect that because well, that's not what the sacrificial system right. was there why, for. So, so think about Abraham and huge. Isaac. When he tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, right, your son of promise to me on the altar. He binds him up, builds the altar, puts him on there, right? And then right before he strikes him, God says, stop. There's a lamb or there's a ram, sacrifice ram the ram, right? Okay. And then it's on that same hill that, you know, you have um, the temple built, mm-hmm. right, in Jerusalem, right? Um, pretty much saying, I'm going to provide the provision of sacrifice, right? But understand, well, why would he even ask him to do that and then, you know, quote unquote, change his mind? He didn't change his mind. What he was testing was how he was testing Abraham's heart. Mm-hmm. How much, how much do you really desire fellowship with me? I remember reading to something. the point that you will sacrifice and give your son as an offering. That's how much you want fellowship with me, right? Where you, where you said God was testing Abraham's heart, I remember learning from a different perspective that uh, that we experience challenges, and so this challenge was was put to Abraham. Not so. It's not like God didn't know he wouldn't do it. It was or he would do it. It was so that God could show Abraham the true depth of his own dedication to God. So it's like it was more to show Abraham something about himself. Yeah. yeah, I think it was both, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's, it's like, I don't think God didn't know. Right? It's like, let's see if Abraham will take his son up here. It's like, God knew what he would do. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. But but he's trying so to make just, a point, though, because in their view, right, that sacrificial system was meant as an offering of fellowship, not yeah. as an offering of Abraham, atonement, right? One of Abraham was like, man, this is weird. But All the right, other Isaac, piece with that, go. right? So God gives, in the Torah, the command for these sacrifices of fellowship, right? Yeah. You know, it was commanded to them. They were unfaithful and unable to be faithful to it, right? Because of their sin, their inability to keep the law, right? So it was almost like all those sacrifices were kind of null in a way yeah. um, in terms of the fellowship piece. So he shows his faithfulness to us and his desire for us, right? So it's not just a, a supreme goodness. Imran just spilt his coffee. Okay, so we're back. Yeah. <laughs> um, Imran cleaned up his mess. Um, that was fun. That was fun. So I don't even remember where the thought was, but before we move on to the next one, because we were pretty much finished on that point, I just, <laughs> I just had to go back to something else with Selena. Mm-hmm. You're upset that it was a goat. I'm just curious what you would prefer it otherwise be, like a puppy or? No. <laughs> they didn't even have wait, hands no, on a little I'm kid. A goat was more valuable than a dog at that time, too. <laughs> like, know. if it was a dog, they'd be like, that's worthless. I'm thinking of it culturally that. now as, like, I, I think we portray the goats as, like, evil, like, when we relate it to the devil and because of its eyes and stuff like that. So I'm like, so, I wonder if that ooh, has anything to do with putting so, uh, the scent. I don't even know why Satan's associated to goats. Let me just... Um, chase this rabbit just really, really quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a common belief then uh-huh. that there was a special demon that roamed the wilderness, which is their term for desert. So okay. on the Day of Atonement, they would play the the sins on the goat and send it out to the wilderness. Uh-huh. Their view was that because of that, this demon would devour it. Okay. Um, so when you pair that with the temptations of Christ in the wilderness. Uh-huh. It's actually a play of a very rooted cultural belief. It's not true, but it's what they believed, right? But this belief that they're that essentially this Satan and his powers would were very powerful in the desert. Mm. Um, so him being at, going out there and being tempted by Satan there is actually feeding this belief, but showing him conquer it 
not being devoured by yeah. it. Um, yeah. Just a little side piece. But anyways. No, that's great. Cool. Okay, so the, the but, second. Um, but a goat definitely would have been more valuable back then than almost anything else because that's something you could eat. That's something that you can breed. Can you? and Yeah. That was- goat? You've yeah. had you've had goat water no, and curry goat. I know that, but the Jews like because I know they can't eat certain things. Uh, so for them, goats they were, were able goats to were good. Eat. Yeah, goats, goats were common. Goats. Okay, it was pig that was the one, the big one that they yeah. couldn't yeah, eat pork or. But so like to sacrifice loads. a goat is literally to lose that sustenance that you would have otherwise. You okay. should been you able should to literally have. just take thirty minutes and read Leviticus. It'll blow your mind. Some of the there's hilarious ones in there. There's one. the The rule is you can't work on your roof with more than a three-step ladder in a rainstorm. <laughs> Something like Safety. that. Which is just logical. Right, because God, I think, looks across all of human history and says, man, a lot of people die yep. working on their roof during a rainstorm on a ladder. Like, hey, so now don't do long. it. Right? <laughs> like, why don't you just but stop? <laughs> besides the point. So the first is um, Jesus acted as, in terms of substitutionary um, atonement, what did he substitute the first sacrificially he substituted what would otherwise have been our offering of fellowship to, to God. He says, here's my offering of fellowship to you, right? Um, where you were unfaithful. Let me show you my faithfulness to you, to the same intent of fellowship, right? Um, the second thing is he substitutes our idols. Um, I kind of stated at the beginning that Christ on the cross is not so God's heart could be warm towards us, but that we would actually warm our hearts for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only you conquer idols. It, it, it is the supre- whatever has the supremacy of your love, right? That there are many people who can love Jesus. Mm-hmm. They just love this other thing more. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would argue that uh, that's probably the most common issue that Christians run into. Mm-hmm. It's I like got, you we, love yourself more or you love, yeah. Something. We literally, it says in the Bible, you have to die to yourself daily. And that's yep. a very, and it's like, it's kind of hard to conceptualize when you think about it. It's like, you love yourself a lot. Mm-hmm. You love yourself more than you love anyone else. That's just a fact of reality I, I of die, being a human being. I die, therefore I live, right? That's what Paul yeah. says. Um, Cause like, and you have to think this in culture in their time, like Jesus' day and Paul's day when he's writing his epistles, when he's talking a lot about this, but you know, idols were everywhere. It wasn't, it wasn't just simply idols are like, still everywhere. They are, but I, I'm saying it was a little, it was explicit. It was, yeah. I, I have my little, little idol there. God in my pocket mm-hmm. who's made from a worldly element, not because simply I need to make it from something, but because they believed that that God manifested through that worldly element. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about it with the uh, series in, on Jacob that they, he took all the uh, yeah, all the metals right. out of his household and buried it so that they couldn't use the jewelry to make new idols. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, his, his, his wives couldn't, which is a whole separate. Go read that. Go listen to that series right. and but understand. In our context. context, though, like the idols, like you know, men, you know, you can idolize women. You know, pornography. You can idolize. Gosh, I idolize mean, work. Idolize the pursuit of money. Money, um, um, fame, pursuit or, of power, or. or, or social media clicks, right? There's so many things that we idolize our phones. You know what I mean? Um, Food. But here's the thing is that when you sin and when you have an idol, that is the venue. That is the access and entry point for Satan. Um, So let me just kind of peel this back for a second. I was like, say it again. Let me back up a second. Say those facts again. When 
when we start, we've talked about this before about the concept of death in the Bible, right? Um, that it's defined as a illegitimate separation where life is a legitimate um, fellowship with something, right? So on that day, you will surely die if you eat of the fruit. They ate of the fruit. Well, they didn't physically die, mortality, mm-hmm. but they were separated. But there was a separation, right? That separation that occurs where there's a death, mm-hmm. right? So when you sin, you are dying 30 times over, right? You're creating this separation. Yeah. That separation where God is and you create space in between you and him, that is the space that Satan operates. That is also yeah. exactly how that phrase to die to yourself daily makes sense. Because if you think about death functionally in the Bible is not dying physically, but dying. It is dying physically. It's, it's, it's both. Right? Yeah. It's deeper than just dying physically. Yeah. Right. And, and it, cause, cause, it's like primarily not just dying physically. It's actually that separation because oh, you die. You, you, you have one physical death. Yeah. But you die millions, millions of times over spiritually. Yeah. And when you create that space, now you've created space for Satan to come in and maneuver and operate. So when we talk you about legitimately feel break, it. Yeah. When you, when you talk about Christ breaking the power of sin, breaking the, the power of idols, like what do we mean? Because it's not like when you deify your phone or you deify a woman or you deify, you know what I'm saying? Uh, deify what money. Deify? Oh, de- give deity to <laughs> Right. Um, it's like deify. Is that like shopping? Are you trying to say defy? No, no. When, when, when you make it the God of your life, it's okay. not give it a deity really, status. Yeah, it's not really okay. a God, but then how does it have power over me? And, and, and the idea is, is that it's not that it has power, but the separation it creates gives Satan room that now has control and power over you, right? So when we start talking about breaking the chains of sin, when we start talking about... Um, Another way um, it is, and there's this whole sociological study of salvation um, model behind um, when it says that um, he died as a ransom for our sin. Like, there's this idea many people hold is that when we were in our sin, that we belong, that, that Satan had like this judicial right over us. And it was almost this way of God's payment to Satan for us. Um, like, that's a model, like that's a figure of speech. That's mm-hmm. not ontological, right? That's not the essence of it. But well, how, how does then Satan have power over me in my sin? It's because where God separates, there's a space. He comes into that space, Satan, and yep. that's the space he maneuvers and operates to control you. So if in 80 different elements of your life, you have the separation in your sin and your idols, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That is 80 different venues that Satan's able to now maneuver, tempt, yeah. And it has power over you. So when Christ comes and says, let me that be is also sim- where it's like, I, I want to not overstate like just Satan's operation, but that is also where now you are going to put yourself above God. So it's like the more you allow that space to be created, the more you're going to allow your pride to step in and think, well, I can handle this myself, or this is not that bad, or this is, it's like, and you are standing in the way of your own connection. Well, and that's that what point. Satan did in the garden, right? He said, well, they said if, I eat of the fruit that day I'll surely die. He's like, you surely won't die. Yeah. You know, he uses the pride, right? That's the tools he uses to puff yeah. you up and keep that. Separation. Exactly. I don't want people to be like, Oh, well, Satan made me do it. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're no. saying. So, there. so when we talk about you are only giving, Satan only has power over your life from what you give him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So when we talk about that space, that separation, that 
right? And you, there's 80 different venues in your life that you all created, these idols allowed to be created that he's maneuvering in. Yeah. But then in the supreme demonstration of the cross, and your heart now gets shifted towards Christ and the things, um, the teachings, and being obedient and submissive to God, death to self. Yeah. Right. You start in sincere repentance. Right. Mm-hmm. You start closing that gap. Less and less maneuver space till some of those get closed, and now the idols lose their power. Sin loses its power because that space isn't there anymore. I remember, I remember thinking through, um, like, why church, and I've, that comes up in my head every now and then. Is like, I go to church because I've always gone to church, but like, why does church need to exist? And, um, and this, I keep going back to mere Christianity because that's just been the thing I've been reading this week. But um, it talks about that if you don't set aside time and you're not deliberate about your study of the word or you're not deliberate about going and fellowshipping with other believers, then there is something will take up that time. Something is always going to be filling your time. Are you going to deliberately pursue the things of God through the church, through the community, through studying yeah. the faith, or are you going to allow other things to fill yeah. that time? Cause something will fill that mm-hmm. time. Either you intentionally pursue Christ or you, intentionally pursue something else or allow something else to fill that time, but something will fill that time. We were just talking in the last Tuesday study, if you remember, right? You got to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. And when you start talking about, even if you look at some of your most faithful, um, like in our church, right? You, You could be at church, you serve a service, you attend the other worship service, um, you're at Tuesday night Bible study, maybe you're serving in Awana on Wednesday night or worship team Thursday night, right? You're doing all these things. Um, we'll, we'll just say, let's culminate that time. Let's say you're at both services. Um, you go to Tuesday night Bible study and you're at a wander for two hours on a Wednesday night serving mm-hmm. there. We'll just say that's six hours. Okay. Yep. Six hours of total time in the week. Yep. How, how much time are you in the gym in a given week yep. before you exceed that six hours? So even the most involved, you can say believers will far in the church, right? Will far get exceeded in terms of time doing just working out in the gym. Now let's see in that time in the gym, that entire time your eyes are wandering, you're looking at um, pretty girls who are working out in there, or, or maybe you're yeah. at work where you'll exceed that six hours in a given work day. So in a given work day, you're being fed flesh, mm-hmm. right? I want to, I want to well, just let me, yeah, 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 yeah. so you're being fed flesh for eight hours in one given day if you do not have the spiritual disciplines of getting in the word and praying every morning, during the day, at the end of the day, yeah. if you are not feeding the spirit throughout in between, you know, the, the formal church events, you can say, mm-hmm. um, you, you're going to get defeated, right? Because it is so overpowering and don't allow more space to operate, to feed that than necessary, right? Like it's not like, um, you know, I, I think people are adults. I think Christian adult believers can watch an HBO show, right? Maturely and know. But here's the thing. Much of those kind of shows, though, have a very fleshly Yeah, they're designed um, to drag to you it. in. And it's like, the- do I need more of that feeding my flesh, right? Like, do I need more? Because I already get enough, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Maybe instead um, I can be pursuing and st- reading my Bible more or listening to sermons or even things like when you're at the gym, right? Listening to a sermon or um, a podcast or a real Bible stories podcast, maybe. Yeah, um, right? Like, but, but feeding the flesh 
um, that, that, that occurs naturally and more so throughout the week than when you feed the spirit, you have to be deliberate about it. I want to talk about, cause some, not everyone struggles with, um, sexual temptation like that or, or, or lust. Uh, men do. And, yeah. A Every lot of men, man t- does. Well, well, you know, 50% of the population is women except in China. It's like a whole mess over there, but <laughs> that's sorry. That arcs back to a conversation we had prior to this podcast. We don't have time for it. We're not going to go down the rabbit hole now, but I wanted to, something is, um, that's brought up in, uh, in mere Christianity is that our ultimate sin. If you look at the base kind of material for all sins, it comes back to pride. So it's like we lust because we feel that we, um, that we deserve or have a desire for this thing that's not ours, doesn't belong to us, all these things. Um, we want to lord over other people uh, because we feel this kind of empowerment for others. We think life should go a certain way because we deserve, um, I deserve to have that job or I deserve to have that car. Or I deserve to have that money. And so I'm very focused on self. But he, he highlights that pride is kind of like a, kind of a fundamental It's very thing. fundamental. But, but hold on. But, but my point is that in this example, Ryan gave a specific example about like the time spent in church versus time spent at the gym, which is a great little example. And I can definitely uh, feel that. But what about the time you spend just sitting and focusing on yourself and just sitting and um, thinking about, well, how can I advance myself and not thinking about your fellow man or your community or your, or your walk with life? How can I, um, take advantage of this person in my job so I can like pass them in the ranks or how can I do the best I can to appease my boss and not be the best Christian in this situation, but just be the best, you know, whatever your job is. Um, so there are a lot of other ways you can not live a, a good witness in your life. That's not just, um, kind of the obvious, um, uh, sexual temptations type thing or, um, or lying or those clear, sure. and, clear, clear guys. But, 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 you know, to the point we're talking about though, is that the place where those idols used to get, I would say Paul would disagree with C.S. Lewis on that fact. Paul would say all sin comes from idolatry, which pride is a feeder for, but you can also have people, yeah, I guess you could argue idolize and, yourself. And, and yeah, but you could also have idols that you're actually approaching in humility right to an idol and i'm talking more like back in their day mm-hmm. right like you can approach the temple of zeus with utter humility not in pride but it's an idol because it's not real right yeah um but, it, yeah. but besides the point christ is a substitute now for the things that we used to idolize yeah the idea because here's the thing no matter how much even in my flesh I still um, may want to look at porn or I, I may want to um, be self-indulging or, um, or gluttonous you know, my, own, yeah, or my own vanity or whatever. Pursue your own ends above others and all that right, stuff. No matter how much I've loved myself, um, when you really understand and look at the cross, it's one where you realize porn never died for me. Porn never suffered for me. Put that on right. a T-shirt. You know what I'm saying? Um, that that was never. Someone may have suffered because of the, kind of the nature of pornography, but that's a whole other thing because of the exploitation of people throughout the porn production process. Sure, uh, but I'm saying though is that yeah. porn didn't suffer for you is absolutely true. Right, someone suffered <laughs> possibly. Right, right. <laughs> and, and 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 you know so so there's meant to be once you have this fully understanding of who Jesus is 
and what the cross means, then you have this sincere, like, man, a, a sincere um, understanding of repentance, of turning your heart around from the things of the flesh, turning around from the self-ambition, from the, the selfishness, and now placing that on Christ. And, and having that understanding, now he, that gap that used to exist, right, between you and God, that Satan used to maneuver, where the idols would exist, now gets filled with Christ and his grace. You see what I'm saying? And, and so when we start talking about substitution, right, sacrificial in the sense that um, he acted as our fellowship substitute. Let me show you how much God wants to be with you. Now he's acting as our idol substitution. Um, your entire heart now is not going to chase after money or after your lust, but you're going to chase now after Christ hard. Yeah. It gives you something and, and, legitimately to point to. So I guess the Jews and what does before that Christ like? what did he teach? could practically point towards to him. And then we're pointing back to him, but now we have this fixed point that we can look at and, and pursue. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would say this is that which is very helpful. There are two ways when we're talking about sin, right? There's two ways you can break bad behavior. One way is the threat or the fear of punishment, right? And this is how we raise children because children don't always understand why logically why you, or there's rules, right? There's a reason you don't stick your tongue in the, in the electrical socket. You know what I mean? No um, matter how delicious it looks, they are not going to understand the complexities of electricity, you know, alternate current versus DC current and even yeah. um, voltage. And they don't know that. And you can try to teach it to them, but, a three-year-old is not a four-year-old is not going to understand those concepts, but they will understand the rule. You do not do that, and if you do that, mm. you're going to go to timeout. Right now, they have no context of the fact that to do that will hurt them severely. Just as we don't have the context and always understand that, hey, when I tell you not to use your body that way, that's not what sex is for, right? And well, why? Why? Like it's obviously higher and more mature than you are. Yeah, just submit to it. Because it's ultimately going to hurt you, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's what we would really call Torah and the law is <laughs> that you so, have. You that's ha- so funny because uh, it's like. So I I I've made mistakes prior to my marriage and even in, within my marriage, but it's so it's, I think that one who has not had sex before marriage, and is completely a virgin all the way through, and then they get married, only that person can truly understand how good it must be. Because I know me with the things that I did prior to my marriage, um, that's, that stuff's just in my head. It's just there uh, on top of the pornography and all that. It's just, that stuff's just there. So that is something that is just a weight that's within my marriage. That's always going to be there. If I had trusted all the abstinence counselings and stuff that I did, uh, while I was growing up in the church and I actually listened to that and dedicated myself to it as much as I, I could have, um, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have brought that into my marriage. I wouldn't have that. In my, I, I, I feel like I've robbed myself of what my marriage could have been the I, most ideal form of it because I didn't trust back mm-hmm. then not to stick my tongue in the electrical outlet. Like it's, and, it, and, and to your point earlier, that pride too, because yeah. I don't understand it. I'm not going to submit to it. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but so, so, but no, that, such, that was functionally kind of like example. the law, right? The law was there. Hey, you do these, there's going to be punishment for it because it's serious. You're not going to understand the higher concept, but here's your boundaries. Here's, here's your, to keep you 
and you're going to go astray. And they did, right? They were never really truly faithful to it completely. Um, but, but that's one way that you at least keep bad behavior in check. The second way, though, is out of love, right? So um, one is out of fear of punishment. The other one, though, is out of love. And I'll, I'll just kind of give a personal example. I don't know. Do, were you guys spanked growing up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so me too. Do you remember? Uh-huh. Do you remember the time when you realized you're too old to get spanked? Uh, that was, I could I could tell a story about that. Um, uh, basically, I remember the last time I got spanked was my dad uh, uh, hit me with something he should not have hit me with, uh, and drew blood because he was very angry and I was very angry and we were basically about to fight. I was like 15, 16, no, like. Probably 13, 14. You were still getting spanked at 14? No, I was, I was a, a terrible demon, child, child. Yeah, when yeah. I wanted to be. I, I was bad. your dad listens to this podcast, too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but he, it, it, effect, effectively, um, he went way too far. I went way too far. And my mom stepped in and she was like, how dare you to my dad? And it's like, you will never like touch him again or something like that, she said. And I remember, I remember being in the bathroom, like checking myself, being like, oh, man, that really did hurt. And look and hear my mom say that and looking over my dad and be like, yeah, yeah. Like in my head, like I was just making like a pouty face. But in my head, I was just like, mm hmm, get him. You know, you probably deserved. <laughs> it. I definitely deserved yeah. it. 100% so deserved my, it. My, mine wasn't that intense, but I, I was, so this is, this was my story. <laughs> it's so is, dramatic. I'll tell my story after. I, okay. Um, so, so, well, you go first. Oh, I remember the last time I got spanked just because I did not want to go to church. I Ooh. did not want to get ready to go to church and I got the belt. How old were you? Probably nine or eight. Yeah. Eight or nine. Yeah. Mine, I was definitely in middle school. Yes, I, was, I, was I was probably eight or nine. But I, I did not want to go to church and I got beat for it. So I nice. had I had the, the chore of picking up dog poop mm. and I hated that chore. You know, and it wasn't just because it was dog poop. It was just like the labor of it. Like, yeah. you know how many like, times you have to bend down, pick up, and, mm-hmm. you know, over and how many and over. times they poop I a know, day. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like kids. I would do that every day. It was like, you know, Hey, this is starting to get out of control. Go yeah. pick up the dog poop. Right. So <laughs> this was my chore and I'm going around the yard and I finally got to this point and I'm like, you know, this is just so exhausting putting this in and then putting it into the, the trash bag. Little did you know you were going to join the Marine Corps so, in the future. Uh, yeah. and- <laughs> I was just going to, so what I started doing was picking up the turds and just kind of catapulting them over into my neighbor's yard. Um, I was like, this is far more efficient. Um, (laughs) Wait, how old were you? What's that? How old were you? Uh, I was probably about around eight, eight or nine. So, so the neighbors there and, and you know, I wasn't very smart because I didn't realize that my neighbors didn't have dogs. Uh, so they're obviously going to know where's all this dog poop coming from in our fenced in yard. Just getting catapulted. Right. So they come over, I get caught, I get spanked. Um, or my lesson, right? The fear of punishment. So I did the chore right for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm like, you know what? Last time I threw it into that neighbor's yard <gasps> and I got caught because they didn't have a dog. This neighbor that oh, has a dog. No. So I got lazy again. Was it a chihuahua and you had a, a, there a, you big, go. a big dog? Oh this, my gosh. So um, mm. it was actually twofold. I, uh, <laughs> so I started catapulting it again. And that neighbor um, came over and said, hey, I saw your son. I saw your son do it. I saw Mm. your son. And I'm like, dad, no way. I haven't done it since that other time. She must be talking about the last time I did it because I did it over there too, but I didn't want to tell you because I was right. right? And and, then she's like, I feel this. She's like, my dog, I don't think it was a chihuahua, but it was was a small little dog. And um, 
you know, we had big dogs like corner mm-hmm. retrievers and, you know, and, and anyways, they're like, those turds are the size of my, of my dog, of my dogs. right? <laughs> my dad looked at him. He's like, right. Go to your room. Right. And I'm like, so I'm in there. I'm waiting. I'm like, I know, I know I'm going to get spanked. Right. And then he never did. Huh. And I was like, oh. grace. I was like, oh, my, my. You're I'm too old. In your room? I am too old. Like that was the like you'd go sit in your room for a while, uh, wait in this horrible anxiety and anticipation. Yeah. Oh, when no. dad comes down to spank, right? And then he comes down and he he doesn't spank me. And this is when I realize like I'm too old to be spanked, essentially. Um I've reached it, right? But he, he pretty much has this kind of conversation with me and he says, you know, you know what is right and wrong at this point. He's like, at this point, you're just disrespecting me. And you're hurting me and your mother's feelings. Mm. Um, and at that point, I go out and I still keep doing this chore. And I had the temptation still. But then I realize, as like, I know I can do this and not get spanked. But at the same time, hearing my dad say that this was hurting their feelings, that mm-hmm. this was disrespecting them. And I was like, I love my parents. I don't like them feeling that and thinking that about me. Mm-hmm. And I never did it again. And, and this is my point is that. Under the law, under the spank, right? The fear of being spanked. Um, that kind of kept me in check, but not fully. But it was only through the full understanding of the love for my parents that fully got me past, that broke me of that, right? The cross hmm. plays that same function role where you don't need the law to keep you in bounds because in your love for Christ, you're going to exceed that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and and you don't want your love for Christ based off fear. Substituted that idol of our of my life, right? Yeah. Um, but the last one is this: Is it really love if it's based on fear? Yeah. Right. Um, but when if you do the right thing, you because are of fear. free. But you do the right thing out of love. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. So the third one, though, I would say this is legal substitution, and this is what many people refer when you say penal substitutionary atonement, <laughs> penal penalty, you know, this is legal, right? The okay. penal code, right? Yeah. This, this, this is your legal um, side of it. And this really comes back to God's justice. Okay. So there seems to be kind of a problem then. Um, God loves us, but we haven't loved him. God wants fellowship with us. And yet in our sin and his holiness, he can't, be in fellowship with us. Yeah. Um, not only that, but he's also said there is a price. That there, there is a punishment. There is a price for sin. Now, why can't he just ignore that? For two reasons. If you have a law um, that calls for a punishment, when you break that law, to just simply ign- ignore the law means one of two things. Right to, to not punish them according to that law means one of two things. Either the law was unjust or you are unjust for not um, following Fulfill, through fulfilling it. and fulfilling it, yeah. right? And God is neither. God is just and his law was just, yeah. right? So this is kind of like how do you deal with that then, right? How do you deal with um, this piece? And this is when we get this cool little and, – and, and people always use this. I think we were talking before. Yours says retaliation. Uh, this sure is, I guess you could apply to retaliation, but I think it's actually a much larger concept Jesus is teaching on. This is during his Sermon on the Mount. It's out of Matthew chapter 5. Um, and we're going to be, what, verse 38 through 40? Yep. So Selena's going to read this, and I'm going to try to break this down. 
to what I would say would be our the legal answer to this, okay? Yay. I like reading the Bible. I hope so. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone will see you and take your tunic, let him your cloak as well. Let him have your cloak as well. So, you know, this is always that, you know, just turn the other cheek, turn and, and, um, this warrants its own study in itself. Cause there's actually a few things here, but I want you to know what he starts off with. You have heard it said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, mm-hmm. just kind of like the sacrificial system. We need to understand what's loaded behind that statement. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was the Hebraic understanding of justice. Mm. And it comes from the law. Mm-hmm. Leviticus 24. Okay. So in Leviticus 24, that is per the law, right? And Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, this is in the law. This is what the Torah teaches. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If somebody slaps you, justice says what? Slap them right back. Slap them right back. Right. Mm. Um, so, um, which means then that the kind of the fundamental kind of argument there is fairness is that it should be fair and equitable. So. Right, and it's return, right? Yeah. You maintain justice. If somebody wrongs you, they receive the same measure yeah. of To wronging. be justice, to be fair. So this whole concept in Jesus' day, you actually had the different camps of like the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So the Sadducees took this very literal, right? So if you did something that would, you know, literally took somebody's eye, mm-hmm. they would take your eye. Mm. Where Terrifying. the Pharisees were actually more in the camp and they would say, you take something of... Equal value, value mm. usually monetary or something like that, right? Yeah, in okay. terms of justice. But I'm taking my eye, better get your but this, land. This was their understanding per the law of what justice is. So is Jesus saying then, hey, you've heard it said in the law, but I'm telling you something completely different? Um, that'd be kind of contradictory because later in this very sermon, he says, Do not think that I have come to replace or abolish the law. Mm-hmm. I've actually come to what? Fulfill it. Fulfill it. Yeah. So he's not doing away. With the idea of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, he's saying, I'm coming to fulfill an eye for an eye, yeah. a tooth for a tooth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, if somebody um, slaps you, turn the other cheek also. Because their idea was, if you take my eye, I take your eye. You slap me, I slap you. There's always a second owed blow in any given offense. Mm-hmm. What he is saying is that instead of giving the owed blow, you receive the second owed blow also. Well, you're like, well, and, and that's grace, right? Yeah. And that's functionally what Christ is doing on the cross. So, so understand how this is the judicial, sas, uh, satisfies the judicial requirement per the law. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, in our sin, were created to purpose, to worship, to serve God. We, we snubbed our noses at him. Yeah. says, I'm going to do it my way instead. I'm not going to live to the purpose of which you created, and therefore, we die. Yeah. So God created us to purpose. We rejected that purpose, and we tell, say, we're going to do our own way, meaning, like we just talked about, love- there, there, yeah, yeah. there was a death. We died. We offered God death. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, slap for a slap, death for death. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna highlight. I'm a little bit lost, but oh, 
Okay, so, so I, I was, well, let me back up then. Okay? Yeah. Their whole concept was that if you stole my chicken and I find out, I not only get my chicken back, but I get your chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, you punch me, right? And I, I, we go to court. I get to now punch you, mm-hmm. right? There's this balance. There's yeah. this second owed blow of whatever offense to which you offered to begin with. Right. Our which, offense which, do, which, to, which doesn't imply any sort of grace or anything. That is just justice. Yeah. That, that is just justice. That is just the law. Okay. Yeah. When we reject the purpose to which God created us to be ser- agents of service and worship to him and in our sin, just we just talked which about. Which he gave us the capacity to freely choose to do. Right. Which is necessary there, for true worship. But there is a death, like we were just talking about. When you sin, there is a separation. Death, biblically defined as any illegitimate separation. Okay. Okay. So when we essentially, in our sin, we say we are not going to live to what you, how you told us to. We're going to do it our own way. There's a death. Okay. Over and over in our sin, in our depravity, we have offered God death after death after death. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now death for death. If we offer God death, what are we now owed? What are we supposed to give him? Death. Yeah. Right? Instead, what he says, and this is how he satisfies it, instead of giving you the owed blow of death that you deserve, I'm going to absorb that second owed blow, mm-hmm. that second slap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second owed death, you've given me death once, now I'm going to absorb and receive the owed death again myself okay. to I, I, satisfy the justice. Can I, can Does I, that make sense? Yeah. Can I throw out another kind of term that you can use? If that that second owed blow, you can kind of think of it as that ultimate destruction. So if you're if you offer God death, you say that we're supposed to be in fellowship and we're supposed to be in communion and we're supposed to be um, in a in a state of worship um, through our very existence and, and life, and we, instead we do our own thing and we offer Him death, like you said the second old blow would be that final destruction. Like what's supposed to happen is he, is he destroys us essentially because if you think functionally, like we create things as well, we create all the technology that you see around you. Someone created this mic that I'm using to speak with you with. If this mic, uh, did not do what it was supposed to do when it was created, the person that created it, audio technica would have destroyed it because it is not, which is, essentially what is owed. I created mm-hmm. you to do something. You didn't do it. Yeah. And therefore you have no use for me. I, I, I'm going to destroy you. So God in his pursuit for us, instead of destroying us, which is the just logical right thing to do instead is offering, Hey, I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. And I'm extending this to to reinstate that. And that's connection. exactly what we call Judgment Day, right? Mm. So when Christ comes back, there's going to, uh, Paul puts it in terms in Romans uh, 9, you got vessels of mercy, you got vessels of wrath. All right? So those who have accepted the provision that God has come forward and done everything in his power to, to get that fellowship with us, if we reject that provision and we say, we see the cross, we see what um, God did for us, but I, I don't want it. I still want to live my way, live with my idols, and we reject that provision, you're going to become a vessel of wrath, right? To our point earlier, all wrath is, is God's power applied across justice. Vessels of mercy are those who have accepted Christ and accepted the provision he provided for it. And that is us with God's power behind his love, his grace, his mercy, 
and his justice because he didn't become unjust by forgiving us. In fact, it's fully satisfying the law of justice as laid out in Leviticus 24. So you have the Torah, the the sense of justice in the Torah being satisfied with Christ on the cross to where now we don't have to receive the owed blow. We can live free in the sense, and we do this, right? When we sin against God as believers, right? And this was the case for the Jewish people. When we sin against God, we know we've sinned against God. We know we've offended him. And you can't help but kind of like flinch at like, when's the blow coming? Hmm. You know what I mean? Or, or we even do that with people. You know what I mean? Like if if um, you ran into me at the grocery store and I come up behind you and slap you as hard as I can in the face. Oh boy. <laughs> and, and, and you knew it was me and I run away. You're going to come back and t- you know what happened to me at the grocery store? I saw Ryan and he just came up and slapped me as hard as he can in, as he could in, in my face. Yeah. Right. I, knowing that I have offended, not just you, but Imran mm-hmm. as right. I mean, like, okay. You two slaps. <laughs> well, I'm saying though, <laughs> I'm going to be kind of looking over my back, right? Like, when is that old blow coming? Yeah. I know there's a confrontation and I know it's deserved. Mm. But now he says, I've absorbed that second old blow. So you're free from that. You're free from that. And you are now judicially and legally free. And to take that even further is that, you know, we talk about advocacy usually in relation to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Christ says, I'm going to send my paraclete, the advocate for you. He's going to be the advocate on my behalf while I'm gone. Mm-hmm. But in first John, he also signs Christ as our advocate as well. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you were to maybe think about um, this in a courtroom setting on judgment day, we're there. God's our judge. Right. And, and I think we can maybe think that the way that's going to go down is one of, um, yes, I am guilty. Yes. I've offended. I am deserving of destruction. I'm deserving of death. Um, and we just plead for, for mercy and grace and in his mercy and grace. Right. And, and like, we have this lawyer, right? Like almost like the Holy Spirit's there. Like, um, but, but they repented and they're really sorry. Show mercy on my client. Mm. Right. That's not really That's not how it what is. the scripture says. What yeah. it says is that we're going to stand there and say, you stand charged with, here's your list of sins and the advocate stands there, the Holy Spirit, and says, that has been paid for by Christ. So what they're not demanding at that point is, Ju- is mercy and grace. Mercy. They're demanding justice. They're saying for you now, right, um, to to not forgive them would be unjust based off the work of Christ on the cross. Right now, God would be acting unjustly because that second blow that was owed has been absorbed by mm-hmm. Christ. Now, to the very, very beginning, though, when we were talking about... It's, hold on. I want to throw out that, like, like what a, what a small ask that God is asking of you, a small your small measure of faith and doing your best to dedicate your life to him is such a small ask if when you look at your life from an eternal perspective. Like, for the advocate to say, I paid that, all the advocate is asking is that you believe that he did what he said he did. And that is all he, all he's asking for him to say, yes, I did do it. And I, and I forgive you. Like what a, when you look at it from that perspective, it is such a small ask to, st- 
from God for you to come and meet him and be with him again. And that is his power being demonstrated in his love Yeah, in, in that character, right? But I, I was just going to say this, though. So if we go back to the beginning, we were saying only the one, the offender, only the offended can forgive the offender, right? So this whole idea as Christ has that kind of that legal substitution for us, um, well, how does that work, right? Because I'm the one who offended God, so Christ, but don't forget who Christ is. Right? Our problem with a lot of the study of salvation and soteriology is that you're mixing the study of salvation and with um, Trinitarianism, you know, with our understanding of the Trinity mixed with our understanding of salvation mixing, and it, it can confuse people, right? Because, mm-hmm. but don't forget who Christ is. Christ is God in the flesh. Yeah. So when, when Christ is there nailed to a cross, it's not simply that he is there as a substitute on my behalf for God, but he's God himself absorbing that second blow, turning the other cheek. It's literally the divine turning the other cheek for us. Yeah. God himself, the offended, forgiving us, absorbing in, in that forgiveness, the very act itself for us. Right. So when we, as you, and a lot of this has been a very simplified version of a very deep and complex concept, right? Yeah. I mean, when you said the word that described what it was, I already knew that someone wrote their thesis on this. Right. But I get, mm-hmm. but I'm saying though, if you just go back to his teaching and when his teaching of justice, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, per the law, Leviticus 24, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. So he came to fulfill eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, apply that to our relationship and offense with God. And you'll realize what the cross is, is him absorbing that owed blow. And in that term, in those terms, biblical soteriology is not that complicated. You know what I mean? Um, we overanalyze and start to um, go into deep theological um, discussions and writings about it. And you get these different camps, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but in terms of what the Torah called for and what Jesus did and what he taught, we then see, oh, he, he's just satisfying eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We receive, we were supposed to receive that blow from God. And instead he says, I'm going to absorb it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I'm going to satisfy justice. If I could just give it maybe one analogy um, would be this. Imagine you're speeding down the road. You get pulled over. Okay. Now, well, let's just in this town, we'll just say that the local sheriff is also the local judge who is also the local mayor. Oof. Okay. Nice. I mean, definitely was a thing in the Wild West. Okay. So we'll just, just imagine. Okay. Yeah. So the, mm-hmm. the one who set and passed the law for the speed limit, the one who's going to act as judicial oversight over breakers of that, it's also the same one who's out there enforcing it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's see, you get caught for speeding, right? You, you get caught driving 55 and a 25. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, you get pulled over. You broke the law. Okay. Now that police officer, who's also the mayor, who's also the judge, comes up and says, you broke the law. And the law states that if you break the law, you have to pay a $500 fine. Now, justice would say, right, that you owe me 500 bucks because that's what the law calls for. For the cop not to do that or enforce that would mean he is unjust, mm-hmm. right? He, he is not enforcing a law that you're already assuming is just, yeah. okay? 
Um, assuming it's a just law. Assuming right? it's a just law. So either the law is unjust or the cop is unjust. Right. So he has to demand also the judge, all the right. He has there. to demand it. Um, but that cop, that's his wife. We'll just say loves her very deeply. Right. So how do you resolve this? Right. Um, if I love my wife and I don't want her to have to pay, pay this, um, but then that would make me unjust. So in order for me to be just, I would come across as unloving or not be able to give mercy or grace to give, to just to forgive it. Right. Yeah. Means, um, I'm loving and I'm graceful and I'm merciful, but I'm not just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unless that cop pulls the $500 out of his own wallet and hands it to her and says, go pay the debt. Right. So when we start talking about relationally when that, when Christ calls us his bride, right? It's in our association that we are covered, right? In Christ's faithfulness and us belonging in covenant with him, how then does that, why do we get the benefits of that second owed blow when those who don't belong to him, right? He's saying, well, we're married. We're in covenant together, right? So for me, for you to break that law, I now pay that $500, comes out of the same bank account at that point. Yeah. Right? But he's satisfying the law, while also loving his wife and saying, you don't pay it here, my darling, here's the $500, go pay the debt, right? To say, to, to be in, um, to remain faithful in both the justice of the law, but also the love for his wife. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I wanted to highlight, um, dis- dissenters may say, uh, well, why would God create um, a world and creatures that are, capable of doing the things that we do um, and put us in a state where we're not in fellowship with him and put us, put him in a predicament where he has to sacrifice his son in order to bring us back into fellowship with him. And, and to that, I would argue that if you think about our perch, our purpose, which is to worship, um, what is true worship, right? If he made us and we just blindly worshiped him and there was no choice involved, then is that really true worship? Because there's no love, there's no choice there so to create a creature that is capable of true worship that creature would also have to be put in a state where they could choose not to worship where they could choose not to dedicate their life to god as he wants us to as he created us to do he created us out of love he created us with the desire for us to do to worship him so he also is providing us a way back to him um and so that is if you think about it that way there was no other choice Unless he, I mean, I guess he could have been purely just in, like, if we were God, I fully believe that most of us here would have just destroyed us and then and you know tried what? again, which so, would have been completely so, just. So, so let me say this. One, I would say to those dissenters, we're going to do the question, why sin, probably next week. Mm-hmm. So tune in, right? Because um, mm-hmm. we're addressing exactly that. Why did he create beings who are capable of it, right? Um, the other thing I would say is God was never in a predicament. Um, that's the other point of this that I, I don't, people always, like God, it seems like God is so responsive. Like, oh, I had this plan and you really mm-hmm. messed this up. So let me adjust to kind of get us back on track of my original plan. All that is feeding his ultimate plan for his glory, right? The Supreme, and we'll, we'll talk about why sin um, next week. Um where I think that will be kind of amplified a little bit better. But 
I, I, I would just say this, though, is that when you look at the cross of Christ, you should feel extremely loved, right? When you understand it within its cultural context, particularly with the sacrifices, right? That is the extent he went through just to show how much he wanted fellowship with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that recognition, there should be something internally within you to be like, okay, if Jesus was who he says he was, which is confirmed in the resurrection, that's why the resurrection is so important. Because I think there's so many people who are like, I want to believe it. It's just hard because the claims are so outstanding, right? It's things that we just don't see day to day, right? I don't just see people walking on water, but you know what? That's because everybody you see is not God, right? Yeah. Right? Like, it's almost like you just think if if this story is true and God did come down in flesh and and all the claims were true, then what would you expect it to look like? And you would actually expect those things, right? But the reason the resurrection is so important then is that it confirms the claims that he was who he says he was. So if he was who he says he was, if the word became flesh and dwelt among us and went to the cross for us to justify us, both the legal requirement, um, but also to turn our hearts and make them warm back to God, to turn away from what we're doing, then all your idols should crumble away because, you re- again, porn never died for me. Uh, money never died for me. No politician has ever died for me and none of them have ever been resurrected for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, why the cross and why not just simply old age, right? Because dying of old age would not have be, been that supreme demonstration of his love and desire of fellowship with us, right? We miss that whole piece, right? We, we get wrapped up in the whole penal stuff. But understand, like, he could have done that and still satisfy the, the judicial law. Yeah. He still could have died. The owed blow was death. Mm-hmm. So Jesus could have lived a long, happy life, mm-hmm. died of old age, and legally probably could have been still justified us, right? But to be killed as a supreme demonstration of not just simply a, a model of, it's, it's really a, a uh, microcosm of larger human story. What's interesting which is that somebody good and perfect comes and we treat them the way we did. We crucified that person, showing the state of our hearts in comparison to the state of God's heart to actually break us of the hearts that we have to go be more like God's heart, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, so there's a lot more to this, obviously. Like, sociology is just this massive. Um, but I felt like, at least to the youth, to help them understand why the cross, functionally, it's actually less judicial, in my opinion, and it's more shown relationship and the love that couldn't been expressed other way. Um, you know, when you look at the Bible also says curse is the man who is hung on a tree. Um, so when you see Jesus up there hanging on a tree, you realize he is taking the curse of sin from the one person who should have never had to experience the curse of sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He's receiving the old blow. When you talk about the curse all the way back in Genesis three, right? He curses Satan and says, there's going to come one who's going to crush your head, right? You're going to nab at his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Um, but then he gives the curse to Adam and Eve, right? Jesus then says, I take on that curse that was owed to humanity. He takes it on. Um, so now we can actually live free from it. Thank you so much for that, Ryan. Uh, 
I I can't imagine being one of those 15 year olds, 14 year old, 13 sitting in there and just being like, just getting your mind just completely just, Oh my gosh, just blown every week as you, um, as you teach them, honestly, it's, um, it's impressive because the level of detail and dedication and study that you show as we go through these podcasts just like shows a passion that I just, I'm always impressed by. So thank, thank you. you so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Um, but, um, as we continue down this series, continue down the rabbit hole of tough questions, I hope you continue to tune in. And if this is your first episode, then I hope that this has inspired you to go back and start this series again because it is great. And I think it really just hits up a lot of the points that especially new believers struggle with. Um, I think this, like we, we do a lot of series that or studies that focus on like, Hey, if you're more advanced in your study and in your faith, um, here you go. Like here's some deep philosophical, not philosophical, some deep theological studies into the word, but here is a study um, or a series that really talks about, some of those more fundamental things that I think new Christians st- struggle with or young, young in their faith struggle with. Can, can I do a little plug? Um, yeah. So you brought up C.S. Lewis a lot. Um, Sorry. Cause I'm reading him this week. No, I know. <laughs> so, so N.T. Wright, he's probably one of my favorite modern scholars. They call him a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. Nice. Um, Cause he's Anglican too, but um, his scholarship on a lot of the stuff, he wrote this book, really good book on the resurrection called the day the revolution began. Um, he's mostly known for his scholarship on Paul. Um, but if, and and some of the concepts that we were talking about may be actually kind of foreign to some people and they may be like, well, why am I just hearing this now? And it's been expressed this way for so long, right? He, He provides a lot of really good context of theological continuity. Yeah. I can't remember what episode we talked about the continuity of thought before where, mm-hmm. you can trace certain beliefs back mm-hmm. and understand where those started, right? And why yeah. they started. I think that was um, actually the one that talked about, um, it was the same one where we used like a, abortion as an example. We were talking about that right before this episode started. Well, <laughs> my, my point is, is that he does a good job of understanding, like this is why it became shaped the way it is and presented yeah. the way it is. And I just kind of also just want to conclude with this is that, um, Constructs are constructs to understand deeper eternal ideals, mm-hmm. right? So I would say that the the idea of a wrathful, emotional God um, or that Christ has the substitute kind of stepping in for the face punch so I don't have to, that satisfy, that construct did not sit well with me in terms of what um, I feel scripture speaks to the character of God the way I've understood it. Mm-hmm. It didn't make sense to me that may make sense for someone else, you know? So it's not necessarily the construct itself because we're talking about the ideal behind it um, of of substitutionary atonement. Um, But I I really would challenge anybody go out there and understand it yourself because until you truly understand the cross for yourself, you're not going to get the impact of the gospel Mm -hmm. fully. Right. So don't, don't just memorize things um, or believe what I say or, or believe what your grandma and grandpa and I mean, your parents taught you exactly. or what your, your, your home pastor teaches. Not that there's they may be wrong or is nothing about that. It's, it, that's it, not the point. It's your own Make study. it yours. You need to understand the cross. Yeah. So study it, dive deep into it. You understand the cross for yourself, and that's when you truly understand and personalize the cross and understand it your way. I'm just telling you, it's going to blow open the gates yeah. of truly understanding, and you'll see your your idols just fall down. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I'll, so. I'll describe that as um, having a heart of worship. So not just, you know, sing, that's not singing on Sunday morning. That's not um, just coming to church. That having a heart of worship is that pursuit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Yeah. All right. So I think that's... with your mind. I think that is the perfect place to stop. So uh, we will continue down this rabbit hole next week. And uh, thank you all so much for joining in. This one was a lot of fun for me. Um, and But we will see you next week on the next episode of Real Bible Stories. Thank you for tuning in to Real Bible Stories. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave a review, share, and subscribe to be notified each week when we upload new episodes. Real Bible Stories is produced in partnership with Palm Church in 29 Palms, California. If you would like more information or want to check out archived sermons and Bible studies, please check out the church website at palmsbaptistchurch.com or check them out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Real Bible Stories can be found wherever podcasts are found. Thank you again, and we will see you next week.